Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast, where we focus in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, and all the things that make those items up. And when we say teamwork, we always remind everybody, it's just not teams in business or sports. We have a lot of teams in our personal lives as well. And that's the focus that we're going to look at possibly today. Our guest today is Becky Morrison, and she is a UC Berkeley Certified Executive Coach. We'll talk to her about that certification a little bit today. And she has a passion for helping people live happy, priority-aligned lives. And that's so important in today's mixed-up world. Whether we're in a pandemic or coming out of a pandemic, it doesn't matter. We've got to make sure things are in more of alignment. After a successful career in financial services, as well as a litigator, uh, and then in a law firm uh, administration, she has worked the gamut, working with people from uh, over 100 attorneys and administration team members and staff in one of the country's premier litigation law firms. She was looking for a new challenge and then transitioned to a small investment firm where she became the COO. That transition helped Becky recognize her true passion, and that was working with people. She started a coaching practice, and like many of our guests on the Teamwork Advantage, she is a lifelong learner. Currently working towards her LLM in taxation from Georgetown Law School, lives in Northern Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., with her husband and two kids. Welcome, Becky Morrison. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're excited to have you here a little bit. And as we were talking a little bit off uh, uh, before the uh, interview started here, I found out, you know, and let you know that you're not the first guest we've had that came out of the law practice and into... Um, the world of, I, I don't want to necessarily call it self-help, but it's helping people and finding a very specific part in life. So obviously there was something there that triggered that in you. Do you want to share with us what that was? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I don't, I can't pinpoint one thing. I would say more that it was kind of a journey over the course of my life and my career of figuring out, you know, getting closer and closer, kind of circling around what really makes me tick and figuring out over time that, that the pieces of the job or of work that I really liked were two things. I love process, but, but really what I love is helping and working with people and helping people figure out how to be their best and their most successful. And so um, for me, it was about, you know, how do I do, and this has been the, the whole journey, the lifelong journey, how do I do more of what matters to me and a little bit less of the rest? And so it's just, you know, really continuing to focus in on that has what is what led me to having a career, at least in this season of my life that is centered around that piece. And that's, that's important because we, as everything that we do, we're still actively involved with people, whether we're looking at it in a, um, uh, remote way over a Zoom or Teams meetings, or we're having colleagues, or we're talking to clients, we have to still realize that it is still a human being on the other end of these conversations. Yes. And so we start to get into that. So what is it about, and, and I love your term, so if you can kind of define for me what priority aligned living really means, at least to you. 
Sure. And so to define it, I'm going to start with a story, if that's okay. That's, and this is I love stories. <laughs> and this is a story that is um, that happened in my childhood. So uh, when I was in middle school, so let's call it 13 or so years old, I'm an only child. And one day my mom, who had a very high powered uh, corporate career, came home and asked for a family meeting with me and my dad. And she told us that the reason for the meeting was that she was in a leadership development program and she had been assigned some homework and her homework was to communicate to us about her priorities. And she told us in that meeting that uh, her career was her top priority. And as a 13 year old, my answer was one word. I said, duh. <laughs> I already knew is, is it. Is that really right? a word? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it was for my 13 year old self, but, <laughs> but you know, the point was I, I already knew it. And actually it's interesting when I tell people that story, a lot of people, their first reaction is, oh, that, you know, did you feel sad that your mom said that you weren't her top priority? And I mean, I'll be really honest with you. No, I didn't. I knew I was very loved. I knew she cared about me. I knew I was important to her. But what she was saying is that my focus is my career because I'm building something that matters to me here. And so it allowed me and my dad to really get on board with helping her achieve what she wanted to achieve, helping her focus on mm -hmm. what mattered to her. Um, and that was kind of the beginning, the birthplace of this idea for me of Life is really about figuring out what is most important to you. And there can only be one top priority and then figuring out the rest of the list in order and using that as a framework for living and for making decisions. And I need to add an important caveat because we could sit down today and make that list, but things in our life, as you know, change Absolutely. and then the list changes. And so it's also about being sensitive to the season that you're in and the change of season when it comes. And sometimes and revisiting that change on a regular basis. A hundred percent. I mean, one of the first things I do when things are feeling out of whack in my life is I stop and say, has the season changed? Is there a meaningful shift in my world that I'm not accounting for in thinking about my priorities? And I saw that happen for a lot of people, you know, in March, 2020, all of a sudden we're living in this new world of pandemic. And yep. it took a minute for people to remember that they had to revisit their priorities, revisit their goals, that the whole construct had shifted and that they needed to take a new look and make a new list. And so, you know, really honoring those shifts is important and then really kind of coming up with what matters to us, but then being willing to claim it. I mean, it took a lot, I think, of courage for my mom to come home and have that conversation, that direct conversation with us. But the net result of it was such a positive shift in the way our family dynamics were. I mean, it was absolutely worth any discomfort that she felt. Yeah. And it, it's a lot of times parents are going to do that. Or they give the impression that that's their first. And sometimes people think that's the means it's the only. And I think you articulated that very well. It's not the only. It may have been number one at that time. Yes. Let something happen to you. And I'm sure that priority would have been an immediate shift. I'm sure. Yes. And those are the things that people don't realize is that this is an, a state of influx and it does change from time to time. Yes. And that, that's, that's very cool. So that's, that tells us how you kind of got there and what it means. Tell me now, okay, you graduate high school, you go to law school, uh, college and law school. Tell us, work through that progression, if you will. 
Yeah, I mean, so I had that great moment of learning and then I forgot everything I learned when I went to <laughs> to college and law school. I mean, I'm I'm kind of sort of joking, but also very serious, right? I mean, the reality is that I I thought that there was a path that I was supposed to be on and that path looked like get good grades, go to a good college. Mm-hmm get a, get a job and, or go to graduate school and get a prestigious high paying job that that is what success is. That's how we measure it. Right. Well, that's how your mom had measured it. So that's how you're perceiving it. A hundred percent. And it also is, I mean, so I went to a private college prep high school. I went to Wellesley college, which was an awesome experience, but also a whole bunch of people really focused on achievement. And so I, you know, in addition to my mom, I had all these other voices reinforcing that message. And so I found myself a graduate of Georgetown Law School, working at a good law firm as a litigator, um, newly married and with a toddler. And one night I tell this story, I call it my bathtub moment. One night I found myself on the floor of the bathroom. Um, my husband was working in counterterrorism at the time. So he had been called into work because something had exploded. And I found myself on the floor of the bathroom with the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants, toddler in the bathtub notebook on the closed toilet seat cover, papers spread out everywhere. And I was trying to do two things. I was trying to prepare experts for trial and bathe my toddler at the same time. And I had two thoughts in super quick succession. The first thought was, what do you mean you can't have it all? Like, look, I'm doing it all. I'm, I'm here with my kid. I'm present. I'm bathing her. I'm also doing the work that I need to do. Like, I'm a rock star. And then literally not a breath later was, and I'm exhausted. And this is unsustainable. And I'm not even sure that I like what I'm doing. So what the heck, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of like remembering this conversation, excuse me, with my mom and remembering like, what does it mean to be priority aligned? And what is my priority here? Like what actually matters to me? Not what I think should matter, not what I think my focus should be, but what actually matters to me. And over the course of the next nine months or so, there was a series of events in my life that led me to take even a harder look at that and to realize that actually my top priority in that season was to be a, to be able to be a present mom. And then I had to call my mom who had put her career first and tell her I had a different priority. And what's crazy is leading up to that call, I had all this trepidation about how she was going to react to it. Do you know what her reaction was? Great. You figured out what matters. Yep. I'm like, oh, again, duh. Right. Like here I was thinking what she, made, she knew it was important for you to figure out what was important to you, yep. not to do what was important for her. A hundred percent. Yep. And that then led me on a path of how can I architect a life that allows me to honor that priority I wasn't ready to commit to being a full-time mom. So I want to be really clear. My priority was not to stay home. And that is to take nothing away from people who decide to make that decision. I'm here for it. But I wanted to have work outside the home, but I wanted to have work in a way that allowed me to be a present mother. And so I went looking for that job. And that's how I ended up in law firm administration. And I was abundantly clear with that employer, again, about what my priorities were. I told them, I said, look, here's the deal, guys. I'm here. I want to do this job. I'm willing to give my all when I'm at the office, but I'm a mom first. So that means I'm going to be using my personal time off 
when my kid is sick or when I have a school event to attend, or, you know, I mean, that that's going to be the thing that's going to take precedence. And that means I might say no to some professional opportunities when they come, because they aren't a right fit for me and my boundaries in this season. And I had the good fortune of having an employer who said, awesome, let's figure it out. That's so cool when those two align. Yes. Because that's, that really starts to hit to the premise of this podcast is the teamwork advantage. So if they're pushing you and you're not happy, you're not going to deliver the best work that you can. Yes. There has to be that teamwork, that collaborative effort between the, the partners in the firm and your administration duties. There has to be that blend in that direction. Yes. And um, when they align, it's kind of cool. It's really cool. And I think it makes for a powerful team because there was something that about my employer being willing to honor what mattered to me that mm -hmm. made me want to show up even more and even better when I was there working, right? Because yeah. mm -hmm. now like, yeah, they're invested in me. They care about what matters to me. They're willing to give me the flexibility where they can. Was it perfect? No. Is any job perfect? Is anything no. perfect? <laughs> No. Perfection is a great dream never to yes. be achieved. Yes. A hundred percent a myth. Right. So it's, um, you know, and, and were there times where I made, you know, where they came to me with some opportunity that would require putting, putting family, uh, you know, a little bit lower on the priority list. And I said, yes, absolutely. Did I regret any of those times? Some of them, you know, I mean, so it's, it's a constant dance, right? It's not a one-time decision. It's a but give what, and take relationship on every end. Absolutely. And what made it easier was knowing that I was clear on what mattered to me. And so I could know where my boundary needed to be and I could communicate about that. And I wasn't afraid of owning it. Yeah. In other words, you knew the gray area that you could cross the lines in and do certain things and still do. But if it crossed over to another area, you said no. And that's yes. Now, what's interesting is you said it took about nine months with a whole lot. And I'm not going to ask you to go into what went on during those nine months, but I'm assuming there were several, I'm going to use the word intimate conversations with yourself. Intimate conversations with myself, intimate conversations with my partner. I mean, one of the things that my mom who mentors a lot of people said early on was, you know, when you decide to marry somebody and you're both going to have jobs, you, there's a deal you have to make at home. And that deal might shift as your job shift. And so there were a lot of conversations that needed to happen about how we were going to structure our life, who was going to take you know, responsibility for X, Y, and Z, how we were going to divide and conquer what needed to get done. So yeah, a lot of soul searching, a lot of um, relationship searching, and just some like outside factors too that, that were really um, clear indicators to me that something needed to change. Mm -hmm. Now, as those things started to change, tell me a little bit about what was going on in your heart. Were you starting to feel more relieved? Were you starting to feel the pressure release or what was happening there? I mean, once I figured out that I needed, maybe, maybe you or your listeners can relate to this, but like for me, leaving a job has always been hard because I care, I get invested, right? Mm -hmm. And once I decided it was time to go, there was a ton of relief. And that's how you know you're making the right decision, right? <laughs> when you're like, whoo, thank goodness, right? Um, and so I feel, I mean, that was a big part of it was relief. And then also just excitement about possibility outside or beyond what I had considered would, what, what I had considered success would look like, right? Oh, like, wait, I get to design 
how I want this to look. I'm not locked into because I, I left when I was in my going into my fifth year as an associate. And so in a lot of firms, you're looking at partnerships somewhere between seven to nine years. And so I was looking at the partners a couple years ahead of me and they weren't that much happier. They didn't have that much more time freedom. Their lives weren't that much more balanced. And I was thinking, well, when is the payoff? Like, I, I thought this was like, work hard now for the payoff. Where's the payoff? 35 more years down the road. Right. <laughs> and I was like, not willing to wait that long. Um, what am I going to do about that? And so to, to feel like I was closer to the payoff was really exciting. And you're getting to design it yourself. So you're creating yes. your own culture. Yes. So while you were in that practice, uh, in the administration side, you had a great culture that you were within. Now you're able to create your own culture. Yes. So what led you down the line to coaching? Because that's very different than anything in a legal profession, especially <laughs> litigation. Absolutely different. Although there are some pieces of my training as a lawyer and a litigator that have come in very, very handy as a Oh, coach. I'm sure. Um, it is very different. And what led me down that road, honestly, it's something that had been sort of percolating in the back of my head for a minute uh, that I really wanted, if there was, if, if I think the way I would have described it earlier in my career is if there was a job where all I could do was have these kinds of conversations with people about how they can do their job better or fix problems in their lives, that would be like, if I could get paid for that, that would be an awesome job for me. And I didn't really realize that it was coaching until a little bit later in my career. And then when I was working at the, um, the investment firm, I was having a conversation with my boss there, the CEO of the firm, who also happens to be a dear friend. And we were talking about kind of the future of my, my work there, the future of the firm and recognizing that it was not going to be the right long-term fit, that they weren't mm -hmm. going to grow in a way that would justify keeping me around. And I said to him, you know, like, I've always kind of secretly wanted to have this job that's just about helping people and helping them be successful. I think I might want to be a coach, but I've never said that out loud. And, and his response was like, you were born to do that. Go figure out if that's the right thing that, you know, like if the right fit for you, like take some time and, and go figure that out. And so that's what I did. So how did you find and tell everybody a little bit about UC Berkeley Certified Coaching Program is one of the most recognized programs in the country. Tell us a little bit about how you found them and what's involved in becoming one of their certified coaches. Because folks think you can just send off and get a little degree that says you're a coach. No. Yeah, I mean, the, their program is no joke in the best way possible. And so how I found them is after concluding that, yeah, I do want to go, I do want to do this coaching thing, I knew I wanted to get certified. And I looked at a couple of different programs. I looked at Columbia. I looked at Georgetown. They've both got great programs. Georgetown obviously is local to me. So there was an appeal there. And then I looked at Berkeley. And while Columbia and Georgetown have great programs, what I decided is that if I was going to get more education, I wanted that education to look very different or as different as possible from the education I had already received. And I've done a lot of businessy stuff. And so Georgetown and Columbia, well, great, have this much more, uh, to me, or, or my perception and my perception from talking with folks, it's a much more what I would think of as like more of a corporate-y, business -y approach to, co to teaching coaching. Not necessarily that their coaches are more corporate-y, just the way they teach it. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I think at least Georgetown, and I can't remember how Columbia was structured, but they do kind of like, it's periodic meetings of cohorts over a long period of time. The Berkeley program, when I did it, it was 
10 days on campus. So it was like literally getting away from everything and being fully immersed in this experience. And their uh, certification program was started by a gentleman named Mark Rittenberg. And he has a TED talk um, that is called Leadership is Love. Leadership is? Love. Love. And that tells you really all you need to know about, that's not all you need to know, but it tells you the starting point of what you needed to know about why I found that appealing, right? It was this very emotion, heart-based approach to teaching and learning coaching. And so what I liked about it in talking to the students was a couple things. One, people who go to Berkeley typically stay in touch with their cohort. And that was important to me because here I was going to start my own business. Who are my coworkers? I'm used to coming out of a world where I've got a lot of people around me. I needed to have some sort of community. Um, And then the second thing is they take a very experiential approach to teaching coaching. So they teach you the topics, the concepts, the structures, all of the theory, but they do it in a way where you're, where you're actively learning. And when I say actively, I mean, we did acting, we did singing, we did movement, we did meditation all throughout the context of learning different coaching modalities. And um, it was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had and the most transformational for sure educational experience that I've been through. So I can't say enough about what they do. And then there's a whole bunch of work that needs to happen and does happen after you leave campus um, for those mm-hmm. 10 days. But it's this like very intense. Because you're not going to learn everything in 10 days. You're no, going to start to practice it. Yes, absolutely. So the mm-hmm. whole process is a six pl- month plus process. I don't know what else to tell you. It was a great experience. No, it, no and that's powerful because now you you've settled in on a particular area in coaching and it's about being happy. Yes. I mean, why does anybody want to be happy? Come on. You're not, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I have to be a little sarcastic. No, that's fine. Please. Sarcasm is my love language. So you're fine. uh, We've got to, it's, it's been said, and I don't know how many times I've heard it said in TV shows and things. If you don't love what you do, you'll if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. Yes. And I have believed that my entire life. Um, so how do we get people, how did you settle in? I'll put it that way. How did you settle in on helping people find their happy spot? Yeah. You know, it's funny because it's not where I started. Right. So I came out of Berkeley thinking, okay, so I'm certified executive coach. I'm going to focus on leadership. I want to go back into law firms who are behind the corporate world in terms of their leadership development, their skills development, and really help teach lawyers to be leaders. Cause you don't learn that in law school. Um, <clears throat> you don't learn that in business either. <laughs> yes, no, it's true. You don't learn it anywhere. So unless you've had a, some experience that has exposed you to it, how do you get those skills? And, and I watched, especially in my decade on the law firm administration side, I watched lawyers grow up through the ranks and just come without the skills. And it was not their fault, right? But where do they pick it up? So I thought they that's- didn't know they needed to know that. No. And you don't know what you don't know, right? Like there's this, there's quadrants of, of ignorance, right? And you have unconscious, unconscious incompetence. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so like, here we are in this, like, we don't even know what we don't know. Um, And so I thought that would be something that I could, could do. And as I started to explore that space, what I found is that I was working with clients who were coming to me and they were saying, I've had all of this success on paper and I'm just not satisfied or happy. What do I do? Do I need to change everything? Do I have to get divorced? Do I have to like quit my job? Like, do I have to switch careers? Like, how do I fix this? And so often what I found is I was working with people to figure out exactly this. How do you architect your happy? 
And so the more I did it, the more I realized that is what I did over my life. I've got actually a system and a framework for that. Let me put that out there and let me focus on that and work with people. And so the way I I describe it as work with high achievers who don't have the happiness that they want to figure out how to have it. And it's been really fun. How often do people tell you they feel overwhelmed? I mean, recently all the time, right? I mean, (laughs) isn't that the word of the year for 2020 slash 2021? Oh, I've been saying it for years. Yes. I mean, for years, for sure. But I mean, especially now, um, I think, I think it's a common thing to feel overwhelmed. And I think a lot of times too, when people come, like I said, people come to me and they're like, it's just not working. I don't even know where to start. And so we make this assumption that we have to start with something huge. Like we have to quit the job or like I said, leave the relationship or leave the house or whatever, get the help for the, whatever it is, like some big shift Mm -hmm. has to happen. And in fact, um, where I start is actually like, let's settle into where you are right now. Let's really get clear on what's going on and where you are, who you are, what you need, reconnect with yourself, and then let's figure out the shifts that need to happen. The first thing, and one of the things is when somebody's overwhelmed, the one thing is to find out where you are. Help me out with that a little bit. So literally, like, I think, I think what happens, so take, take overwhelmed. What happens is it's like, oh, I have so much. It feels overwhelmed. Sometimes when you're feeling that way, you haven't even sat down and really, and I'll just say written down, but it doesn't have to be written down, but you haven't really explored what do you actually have? What's actually in your life on your plate? Where is the overwhelm coming from? What's the true source of the overwhelm? Is it quantity? Is it, is it, you know, that you actually, it's an emotional reaction because there's some piece of what you have to face in your life that you just don't want to deal with. And it's not actually overwhelming you know, in terms of having too much to do, it's that this one thing just feels so yucky because your nervous system is like all up in its triggers. Right. Okay. So it's really just assessing what's actually going on before we decide what to do about it, which means sitting in that overwhelm, in that tension, in that discomfort for a minute <laughs> to really get a sense of what it's all about. Okay. So if, help? You were t- if you were talking to a client right now, and they're telling you they're feeling overwhelmed. What are some questions they should be asking themselves? Well, I mean, so the, really the first thing I would encourage people to do is I feel overwhelmed. What's, what do I actually have on my plate? Let's get it out of the head. Let's put it in some physical form so we can actually see it, assess it, not just be spinning about it. Right. Okay. Once you've done that, I think it's then looking at what's in front of you and asking yourself what's working and what's not working. Okay. And then with the not working things, I think perhaps it's digging a little deeper into what about this isn't working, right? Going back to that idea of like, I just really hate that I have to do this, or I really am uncomfortable with this, or I'm really scared about this. Like, let's name those things. Okay. And then I think it's also about asking yourself, what do I want less of? What can I offload? What can I delegate? What can I put on pause? What can I set down? What's really not important right now? What is a should, but not something that I actually care about or want to do? And can I let that go? And then what do I want more of? Because sometimes the the solution to overwhelm is actually to have more of something positive, more joy, more space, more time, more. So it's, it's looking at both sides of that coin, both what I want to get rid of and what I want more of. And then, then from there coming up with an action plan. In your coaching practice, 
So mm-hmm. let's build on that. And your mm-hmm. coaching practice, as they start to do that, I'm assuming there's a lot of derailment and people fall off the tracks. What is a way that they can pull themselves back on? Do they need an accountability partner? Is that where you come in as the coach? Do they need to have an accountability partner that could be a spouse, a partner, a friend, a colleague? What do you recommend there? So, I mean, the short answer is accountability is always helpful (laughs) and it could be a coach or it could be an outside, you know, a a spouse, a friend, a a colleague, but I want to just clarify if, if, so in the coaching relationship, in the work that I do, that conversation that I just ran through rapid fire with those questions Mm -hmm. that might take several sessions for us really to work through. It's not going to happen in 15 conversations. Depending on the situation. Right. But, um, and so for me, that is a big part of the coaching container. And the reason that I called my, my business untangle happiness is I view this as like, let me take your knot of overwhelm and let's start pulling the threads that help you untangle it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, in, and so, yes, people get derailed, but the more we have the conversation, the more we start to understand, the more you start to articulate, this is what matters to me. This is what I want more of. This is what I want less of Then, Yeah. As a coach, it's my job to remind you of that. When we, when you come back the next week and you're like, spent all my time this week on this thing I was trying to get rid of, we're going to talk about what happened there. Yeah. Okay. Why did you make that choice? What was behind that choice? What's really going on again? Is it a pattern? Is it a fear? Is it a nervous system situation? Like, what do we need to do? Or are you not being honest? And I, I'm, I say that with love and <laughs> gently, but are you not being honest about what matters to you? Maybe you spent your time there because it turns out that thing is actually important to you for whatever reason. Let's just make sure we're being- You may say it's not, and yet it is. Yeah. 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 So in, in your experience- do the responses, the uh, approaches, the avenues, whatever word we want to use, do they differ between men, women, older, younger, uh, executive versus trades worker? Do, uh, what, what have you noticed as far as some of that? It's a good question. I guess I would say so. I mean, the, the majority of the people, well, that's not even fair. I work with a diversity of people. Mm-hmm. And I would say that what I have learned is to not anticipate any patterns based on any of those demographic information. Okay. That it really happiness and how you untangle that knot really has to be your way. And so I can give you the structure and the approach, but we have to figure out what's right for you. Mm-hmm. And my job as a coach is not to judge that, but to help you honor it. Okay, I, want you so, to say that, I want you to say that again, because I think you just said a very key point. Yeah. It's not to judge it, but to help. To honor it, to help you honor it. You know, that if you're going to articulate that this thing matters most to me, I want a co- the coaching container of all places to be a place where you can be open, you can be honest, you can say it, and we can figure out how you're going to live it. Um, and I can support you in doing that. Not that I'm going to tell you, why, you know, you, you've built this whole company. Why would you walk away from it? Or you're doing so great. Why do you want to give up? That's not my, Mm-mm. that's Mm-mm. not my job. My job Mm-mm. is actually to help you figure out what makes you tick, what matters to you, what is your priority in this season? And let's, or, you know, your list of, of priorities in this season, and let's live in alignment with those. Because when you do the space, you create the possibility you create, the friction you remove is so game-changing. What's powerful in what you just said is 
you help the other person determine that. Yes. And you see, that's, I want to make sure our listeners understand coaching is not about telling you what to do. Coaching is about pulling it from you. Mm-hmm. Even a uh, baseball coach, a hitting coach is going to ask you questions. How did you feel through that swing? How do you think something, what do you think would make that feel better? So they're constantly coach, getting you to uncover. And that's the difference between a coach and a consultant, if you will. Yes. Yes. Um, and I admire people who can do the coaching aspect, trying to pull it out of people. Uh, I've often said I am more of the consultant type than I am the cons- uh, coaching type. I-, I admire people who can do what you do. Well, it's it's, it's a muscle like any other muscle mm-hmm. in in my experience. And what I've found from exercising that muscle is that the power of a solution that a person and this this goes to teamwork and this goes to the workplace a hundred percent. The power of allowing somebody to come up with their own solution. It's, it's magic. Like you talk about accountability when you decide what you want to do and you're clear on it. Accountability is just a like frosting on the cake kind of thing. Yeah. Cause yeah. you've decided it. When yeah. I tell you what you have to do and you're not really bought in or you're not really sure, or you didn't choose it. That's where I have to follow up and follow up and follow up. Right. That goes back to Simon Sinek's head talk about it starts with why. Yes. And it also goes back to my father. When I did something as a uh, 13, 14, 15 year old young boy, and I wasn't really supposed to do it. My father would look to me and says, what do you think your punishment should be? Yes. Yes. And <laughs> Years later, he told me, he says, you know, the punishment that you chose was usually worse <laughs> than I was going to give you. A hundred percent. I would, I would do that with my kids and it's true, but it has changed the way that I think about, I mean, Exercising this muscle has changed the way that I think about parenting. And it's interesting. It's also changed the way that I show up in the world and the way that I bristle at being told what to do. It is interesting because I, I notice it a lot more and I'm trying to think of a good example and not one's not coming to me, but I, when I'm out in the world and somebody's like, this is how you need to do it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You didn't even ask me anything about myself or my situation. How do you know that's the right solution for me? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I really do think I mean, there is a time and place as a manager or a leader of a team or even a fellow team member where you need to share your knowledge. And there's a time and place as a coach where I have to too, right? Like if you asked me, you know, if I was coaching you and it was some situation that I have squarely faced before, or you're working with a person I know well or whatever, I'm not going to pretend I don't know right? I'm not going to hide the ball, but I'm going to make clear based on, you know, I want to tell you about my experience and then let's talk about what you want to do with that information. Right. You may share your experience and say, okay, how do you think you might uh, intertwine with that along those ways? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's key. So have you gone back to some of your uh, old colleagues in the law firm and worked with them? Obviously without naming names. (laughs) I have worked with a handful of people that I worked with in the past. Absolutely. And how do they feel? I mean, now I'm going into a feeling thing. How do people feel that have known you in one aspect of life and are now working with you in, in this aspect? How, what's that like? 
I mean, I think it's fun, right? But I think it's also, it's fun for a couple of reasons. One, it's fun to be able to help people that I know and to be able to work with former colleagues where I'm familiar with their environment. It short, shortcuts some of the questions that need to get asked and some of the education that they need to do so that I have a full understanding of the situation. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that like they get to see a little bit of a different aspect of me. I think if I could go back and manage knowing what I know now as a coach, I would have been a much better manager. I think I was a good manager. Mm-hmm. But I think I'd be an even better manager with the skills I have today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think everyone needs to have a coach. And sometimes I've got some colleagues that have multiple coaches yes. in multiple aspects of their lives. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with that. No. And I work with a number of um, CEOs of sort of small to medium sized businesses who have more than one coach for very good reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, because they're, they're focusing in on certain areas because if we think about it, our lives are almost like a Venn diagram and we have to pull them together. It's true. And make them work that way. Yep. So any regrets about leaving the uh, legal field? I don't think, no, no. I mean, there are times where, um, there are times where I wonder if I had done it. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? If I had done it a little bit differently, if I would have enjoyed it more, but No, I don't regret it. I think the legal field is a challenging and difficult place to work. And I had the great good fortune of working with lawyers at Williams and Connolly who truly love practicing the law. And that showed me what it looks like when you love your job. Yes. And I did not love practicing that way. And I'm not sure there was a world in which like, even if I had done it perfectly or worked in a different place or worked in a different way that I would have landed in that. Right. And it goes back to what we started the conversation with. Yes. You got to love what you do. Yes. You know, and there's many aspects of people who spend 20, 30, 40 years doing something that's a J-O-B, which yes. I refer to as jump over backwards. <laughs> and uh, once they realize that they can be happy, yeah. it's there. Yes. So let's take a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your book. It's called The Happiness Recipe, I believe. Yes, it's called The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters. And right, it's, hold it up. You got a copy. Oh, I can I hold think. it up. Yep, yeah, I do. It up. I do have a copy <laughs> of it right here. And it is literally designed to be a very practical action guide to sorting through a lot of the issues that we've talked about today. It's based on the premise that the formula for maximum happiness is to do more of what matters and less of the rest, which is simple in concept, but hard to execute. And I walk through what I think are the three biggest gaps that get in our way of doing that. One is, and we've talked about it today, not not being clear. So I call it the authenticity gap, not being clear on what it is that matters most to you and then being willing to claim it. Um, two, I call it the emotional energy gap, but it's not having the supportive beliefs and feelings or the mindset that allows you to really execute that doing more of what matters and less of the rest. And then the last is just the simple, like, I call it the physical energy gap. But it's the simple execution of, are you actually living in alignment with your prior priorities and how do you do that? And so, um, each section has a series of chapters in it with a bunch of activities really designed to be practical, it's accessible, attainable to you to work through those questions. You could pick it up and work your way through the whole thing, or you could pick it up and use it as a resource to, you know, to have on your shelf when you have a particular need for a particular tool. And it works whether you're talking about professional life or personal life. It works for anything you want to turn it on. I think there's even a world, and I've been playing with this idea where you could look at it in the context of a project or a team in the workplace. 
Well, now you're talking my language. I know, I know. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about it. I, it's, I mean, it's not written that way. I think that would be a little bit of a, like, you'd have to th- think about it, but yeah, the we tools gotta, in we gotta here- make it apply. Yeah, but the tools in here certainly, I think, could be applied kind of individually or as a group, right? And when you think mm-hmm. about working as a team, it's like, well, what is the team's priority? What is our focus? Where, what do we have really going on? Can we all agree that this is, you know, this is where we're looking? And will this we all agree priority. to buy in and move forward, yep. commit and everything else? Yeah, exactly. Uh, those all, yep. and by the way, that all goes all the way back to the thing that, and uh, inevitably this comes up in almost every podcast, it comes back to trust. How well oh, do we 100%. trust our people? Yes, absolutely. Yep. And this, I mean, this, sorry to cut you off, but this on an individual level is about really, do you have the trust in yourself that you know Mm -hmm. yourself, that you know what you want, that you are clear on your priorities and that you can really sort of like trust yourself to that is it. That's what I want. Yeah. Well, this has been enlightening. If folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can find you if they want to bring you on board as their coach? So one-stop shopping is my website and that is untanglehappiness.com and you can- Untangled, untangled, untangle, untangle, untangle happiness dot com. Untangle happiness So it's the action part of it, not the yes. past tense. Yes. Okay, Becky Morrison. It's been an absolute privilege to have you here with us on the Teamwork Advantage. Um, hopefully, we can get you back here sometime. We can go a little bit more in depth on some of this and see how many other people you're making happy. It sounds good. Thanks right. so much for having me. All right. Thanks again, Becky. I appreciate it. You know, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you will gain skills, as Becky shared with us today, that are impactful and ideas that you could actually act on immediately. Until next week, remember that having a good day, that's just being average. By listening to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.